fish on. Hey, Radcast is on. And welcome to the show, Mr. Jim Zumbo. Gentlemen, I am pleased to be here, and I use that term loosely when I say gentlemen. (laughs) (laughs) Al Winder. Just want to welcome you to the show. Thanks for uh, taking time out of your busy schedule to hang out with us on a podcast for a little bit. Hey, I'm looking forward to it. There's nothing makes me happier than a cold in Minnesota. If I can't be out fishing, I should be talking about fishing. (laughs) (laughs) Hailing from Wisconsin, Jenna Waller. Thanks so much for having me. It's Redcast. Hunting, fishing, and everything in between. Powered by Bow Spider. Brought to you by PK Lures and High Mountain Seasonings. And now, here's your hosts, Patrick Edwards and David Merrill. Welcome to another special edition of Radcast Outdoors. We're going to do another rewind this week. Again, it's the month of December and David and I are taking some time off with our families. I wanted to go back to the beginning to a mentor of mine, a fishing mentor, Pat O'Grady. He started PK Lures, which is one of the sponsors of this program. So again, go to pklure.com and check out what they have to offer. But Pat tells the story of growing a small business from a few ideas that started with bottom bouncers right here in Wyoming and grew it into a large fishing lure company. One of the cool things about Pat is that he is just a fish catching fool. The guy can catch fish out of anywhere. He's one of the best anglers that I've ever had the opportunity to fish with. He's a genuine guy. He works really hard at his craft. He's an incredible lure designer and he gives some amazing tips, especially if you're a fisherman who likes to target walleye and trout. So this one's a treat. So sit back and relax and enjoy this special edition of Radcast Outdoors. Welcome to Radcast Outdoors, hunting and fishing and everything in between. I'm Patrick Edwards and I got David Merrill, my co-host with me. Hey everybody. And we've got a special guest today. His name is Pat O'Grady and he's from Cheyenne, which is my hometown. And We're going to talk to him a little bit because he started a uh, fishing lure company called PK Lures, and I'm quite familiar with it. It's a great company. They make a lot of awesome products, especially for the ice fishing season, which is coming up very quickly around here because it's like today cold. Yeah. (laughs) So we're going to talk to Pat a little bit about ice fishing, about angling in general, and just learn about the journey that it took for a small Wyoming company to kind of hit it on the national and global stage now. Pat, thanks for joining us today. The first place I want to start is what was the first thing that kind of got you into designing fishing lures? I actually, I didn't start designing fishing lures. I I actually started designing bottom bouncers. I used to guide up at Seminole Reservoir and Jim Cabela, he owned Cabela's, and a few of the people that he worked with was up there. And they were having a hard time finding fish. And the state park ranger told them to come up and talk to me because I guided. He said, this guy does pretty good. And they came up and talked to me. And I told them the next morning that they could follow me. And I'd take them to some spots and see if I could get them a few fish. Shortly thereafter, I started fiddle farting around with bottom bouncers. And I designed a bottom bouncer that you could adjust the weight on. You could put a half ounce or an ounce and a half or three ounce. Just simply pop it on over a kink in the wire. And I took them down to Cabela's because one of the guys with Jim Cabela's that day was the buyer for the fishing department. And I called him up and told him I had something I wanted to show him and I took him down and showed him to him. So that's where the, the actual I guess designing of fishing product started was right there. The lures came a little bit later actually after I, I designed a pleated overshoot for ice fishing and I took it down and showed it to Cabela's, and they took those also and did really well with them. And that was called, what, the Ice Spider? Isn't that what it was called? Yes, Ice Spiders, yes. Yep, so the people out there that know that have had a pair of those, they're quite amazing because I I know midwinter that ice is slick, and 
it's nice to have something to help hold you on the ice. So I remember seeing those and knowing people have had a pair. I never got to have one, but pretty darn effective. Pat, overall guiding fishing, what's your take on that, being a fishing guide? A lot of people think it's a job to kill for, and it is It is really nice to do something that you're that you love, that you're passionate about. And I, I really enjoyed it. But I'll tell you, when I quit guiding, I actually started a landscape company, a sprinkler installation business here in Cheyenne a few years after that, after I quit guiding. And I thought I died and went to heaven. <laughs> let, let me guess, you got to actually go fishing then? I wasn't producing a living with this by any means. In Wyoming, that's a, you're just not going to do it. This isn't being on the Great Lakes where you've got salmon or the Puget Sound or somewhere in Alaska. A lot of the guides in Alaska that guide up there in the summer, they actually move to Costa Rica and, and stuff and do some more guiding there in the wintertime. You know, it's just not enough to keep you alive and going. But I didn't necessarily need to do it to keep me alive. I was doing it because I like to do it. And I spent my summers up there anyway. And I thought I can use this as a means to pay for a few tanks of gas and, and stuff like that. Yeah. And you spent a lot of time on Seminole. And I know you're pretty well versed in a number of the different Wyoming reservoirs, whether it be Seminole, Glendo. You've fished all over Wyoming. I guided at Glendo strictly night fishing for the month of May. That's all I did at Glendo was just every May. I would guide at night for trophy fish at Glendo. And then come the 1st of June, we, when the kids and stuff got out of school, we would move up to Seminole. And then I'd stay up there till usually around, around the third week, second or third week October, depending on how nice the weather was to me. So as far as like fishing lure design goes you've got a couple of products that i'm very familiar with and i catch a lot of fish on i want you to just give us the background on the flutter fish because that that one's my favorite if i'm going to take a a spoon out and try to catch walleye or trout or anything really even tiger muskies i've caught on them tell me a little bit about what went into designing the flutter fish and how you came up with that i i used to seine minnows up at seminole because it got so expensive for night crawlers back then when I used to guide up there. The limit was 20 walleyes per person per day. And I would go through 10, 12 dozen night crawlers a day. And it just, and then keeping all those night crawlers alive, and it's just a pain. Yep. And pretty expensive. So I built a, one spring, I built a four by four cage out of a PVC. And I used it to put minnows in. I had a lid with a lock on the top of it. And I would put it in the lake. And I would go out and sane the Emerald Lake Shiners. And then I would bring them in and fill that thing up to where I had four, five, six, seven hundred dozen Shiners in there. And every morning I'd pull around and, and get in there and get two, three hundred minnows out and go fishing. I would run those on worm harnesses, hook one in the lips with the first hook and hook one in the lips with the second hook and, and run those behind the bottom bouncers and actually did better on those than I did night crawlers. And it didn't cost me anything except for the time to, to go get the, the shiners. But those shiners were pretty hard to get until the water temperature got to a certain temperature, usually around 68 degrees, 68 to 70. And then you could go into the back bays of anywhere on the lake and round them up back there. You just don't, you got to have a place that you can block them. And I think that's the same position for your predator fish and prey is you start getting out as, say, trout or a walleye and get out on suspended water chasing bait, you're going to spend 10 times more energy than you are going to get. So if you can, someplace you can trap them up against the wall or something like that, 
then you're a lot more effective. And I used to go out when the water temperature got right, and I'd have enough minnows to last a whole month. I mean, I could go out and I'd have two 35-gallon live wells on that Lund Baron plum. I don't think there was three gallons of water in there. And I'd, I'd do that a couple times and come fill that cage up. And, and I noticed how these minnows would react when they're, when they're hurt and stunned and stuff. And I used to ice fish Diamond Lake a lot when I was younger. And we laid on the ice and jigged lures. And I would watch the lures, the action of the lures, and we used Castmasters, Crocodiles, K.O. Wobblers, Swedish Mimples, everything. And I watched the action of the lures and the action of the reaction to the lure from the fish. Because back then there was a lot of a big trout in that lake, and they'd come in and move in on these lures. And it was really cool. And I seen those minnows for a number of years. Then I started fiddle fart with different blade designs and stuff to see if I could get something that would mimic what those Emerald Lake shiners would do when they were, say, stunned, because they would turn on their side and flutter down a little bit, and then they'd swim off a little bit and then flutter down a little bit again. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I started messing around with trying to design something that would somewhat give me that kind of action. And I happened to to make the first butterfish and took it out in my hot tub and jigged it a couple times. And I said, this is it. This is what I'm looking for. So I made some up and started fishing with them. And that lure actually was the first lure that I ever caught my limit of walleyes on the ice in Wyoming. So, and I knew it was good. I knew from what I seen, the action that it was producing, that it was going to be good. We never know exactly how good it's going to be until we put it through the test. And that lure has absolutely blown me away now for many years. Learned just recently, the last four or five years, how to more effectively fish them in the open water to where it's absolutely... I'll cast them out, let them flutter down, rip them up six, eight feet, let it flutter. And I rip my rod vertical, six, eight feet, let it down. Six, I do that three, four times and reel it a little. And if they're, and you'll always catch a few fish doing that, sometimes a lot of fish doing that. But I learned the last few years that I would cast it out, let it sink down to a specified depth, maybe a 10 to 15 foot, I put my rod tip right down by the water and I pull it back 18 inches, take a reel to handle, pop it, and I reel each pop in as I'm going. If you try that and see what that lure's doing, it's absolutely mind-blowing what that lure does. And I found that there's days when I do that when I'm not already catching anything and I do that and it's absolutely crazy the fish I catch I I really I really like it one of the things I can attest to I I went with you one spring to it was either crystal or granite I can't remember which one right outside of Cheyenne there and you were working one and I was watching how you did it and I, I kid you not guys and five minutes he had a five or six pound rainbow and then he had a nice lake trout it was just like one fish after the other and I've done that up here in this country. When you catch a, a bruiser rainbow trout that's mid-20 inch, 24, 25 inches long, it smacks that thing. It's exciting. And it's pretty fun. I've also caught tiger muskies that way with that method that you're talking about where you cast it out, you let it drop and flutter down to the bottom, and then you start ripping it up. And those pike and tiger muskies really like that presentation, and so do the walleyes. Every fish does. I went down to Cabo San Lucas with a couple friends, and we went out fishing this rocky reef called the Point. It's up the shore right out of Cabo, about maybe three or four miles. And I was casting big flutterfish in there, 
the two, two and a half ounces. Mm-hmm. And the charter captain was telling me real faster. And I did that about five times. And I'd have, you know, eight, 10, 12 fish chasing it. But none of them would commit. And I, after doing that about five times, I told him, I said, that's how you fish. I said, let me show you how I fish this lure. And I cast it out. We were probably in, you could see it was 25, maybe 30 feet deep. And I'd let that lure just flutter down like a wounded fish. And fish would come start looking at it right away. And I would give that thing a great big huge rip up and let it start fluttering down. And when I did that, those it was fish after fish. I could not count the fish I caught that day. And I don't even know what half of them were it was <laughs> it's absolute blast when you're catching six seven eight nine pound saltwater fish like that and they fight like 25 pound freshwater fish it was and i'll tell you every action creates a reaction so if you got something that's creating a good action you're going to get a good reaction right and one of the things i've found that a lot of walleye guys do that i don't do but there's a lot that fish so slow that, and there's a time for it, but some people fish so slow that they just don't get those reaction strikes. And I feel like your lures, like the flutterfish and the PK spoon, they really get the fish to have that primal reaction of, I'm going to eat that. Yeah, it does. I was over at Wheatland Tree. It's been four years ago, ice fishing. with There was four of us. And... I was actually fishing a quarter ounce PK spoon, no bait. I very seldom use bait ever on these things. And we had been catching some nice fish, four to six pound rainbows. And I got in about eight, nine foot of water. I dropped that thing down and I started, I literally was ripping at 18 inches. And as absolutely as soon as it would come to a stop on the downfall, I would rip it again. It was nonstop. That lure, I laid down and watched it, and that lure was going crazy down there. And I thought to myself, I knew what it was doing because I've always tested all this stuff in swimming pools. So I know what the presentation is doing before I ever put it in the water. That's one of the most important things that anybody can do is know what their certain bait or certain thing is going to do before they ever put it in the water. Therefore, they've got that imprinted in their mind, and they it's, it's one of the best things anybody can do to actually improve their fishing. So, Pat, it sounds well, like you're a, a fish hunter, not a fisherman, right? You're, you're out specifically targeting this species this time and trying to get the biggest and the best and it, it reminisces a little bit of my mind too i like to do a lot of waterfowling do elk hunting do turkey hunting and a lot of times you're doing a, a vocal presentation but I, i've noticed even in in my fishing experience where you can have two fishermen the same fly the same stretch of river and you've got one guy just killing it and it's because that last 10 percent of effort to get that presentation just to the way the fish really want to accept it what would you say is your your go-to strategy to when you're struggling trying to find these fish i a lot of times i go opposite of what people would think i was up at canada fishing last mountain lake with tim jenny our sales rep up in canada and it was in 2000 and i think 12 or 13 and we'd been doing really good catching five to nine pound walleyes on the Red Dock Low, quarter ounce and three-eighths ounce TK spoons. And the fish really, they basically shut off. And we were fishing in a group of probably, I think about 12 guys were stretched out for maybe 75 yards on this break off this point. And the fish had really, the, the, the bite was really good early and then it started shutting off and, and basically turned off and tim which is this guy is a good fisherman okay he actually just took fourth in the vanity cup up in nippon canada and he's won it twice 
and first place for that tournament's a hundred thousand bucks. So this ain't no slouch fisherman. He knows how to catch fish, walleyes. And uh, as soon as these fish start really getting negative, he said, I was talking to him, he said, man, I'm going to size down, go smaller and, and see if we can, because I got, I can see the fish are coming in looking, but they're not biting it no more. I said, okay, let's see what happens. And he sized down, I think, to an eight ounce PK or eight ounce flutterfish. And I ran over to the truck and I started digging through there and I grabbed a three quarter ounce copper flutterfish, which is much bigger than what we were fishing with. Size-wise, it's three times, three times longer and ten times the action. And I started fishing that pretty aggressive. And what I had decided to do is I'm going to go big. I'm going to show the fish down there something that they can see from a long ways away. And if there happens to be a biter around, maybe I can get him into bite. When I'm going to walk this line of holes that we got drilled up through here for 75 yards and, and see what happens. I dropped that flutterfish down. I jigged it three times and good three three to four foot jigs, ripping that thing pretty good. And I wham, I get bit. Eight pounder. Reel that fish in, unhook him, throw him back, drop him that lure back down, jig about less than five minutes, a five pounder. I caught 12 fish in 45 minutes on that lure, and the smallest one was that five-pounder. Every one of them was from five to nine pounds, and I was walking right in between these guys that were fishing with that smaller stuff and not getting bit. It, it, and when you start doing something like that, when you see how effective a presentation is like that, when most guys are saying, oh, they've shut off, we got to go smaller, we got to do... I don't do that. When they shut off, my train of thought on it is there's got to be a, an aggressive, hungry fish still somewhere around here. So I fish a presentation that, you know, a fish from 25 or 50 feet away can see. And if they want to come in and bite it, they'll come in and bite it. And I'll tell you, it's just worked so many times that I... Uh, it's a go-to presentation for me when things are negative. I was up at Glendo ice fishing a couple years ago, and it was like that. We fished all the good old-time baits that we'd done really good on, and, and it was slow. We were struggling, and I put on a three-quarter ounce copper flutterfish and started ripping it and started catching fish. And it, it's, uh, like I say, a reaction creates a reaction, but if the if a hungry or aggressive fish that's 50 or 60 feet away can't see your presentation because you're sitting there twitching it down off the bottom 10 or 12 inches, they're not going to know. But you get a, a big, flashy lure on that, that you're ripping off the bottom as high as 6 and 8 feet. Every once in a while, that's what I do. Then I'll bring it down on the bottom, jig it down there for a little bit if I don't get bit. I get it back up there a couple times, six, eight feet, and I'll even actually hold it at that depth with my rod in the air and give it 12, 14-inch pops so a fish from a further distance away can see it and will come over to it. And it's been really effective for me for a long time. When you say a hunter, fishing is like hunting. The successful people at it are the ones that are willing to, work harder than your average guy that just goes out and sets down on a bucket and jig the rod all day or a guy that's willing to go out to hit an area drill 75 holes and if you don't get bit move and drill another 75 and move and drill another 75 until you till you find them the truly successful people are the ones that are good fishermen and are willing to to work for a successful day. So there's a quote out there that I, I've heard a lot and I really like it, and it's 80% of the fish or game are harvested by 20% of the fishermen or hunters. And so do you want to be in the 80% or in the 20% where you're and it just, and it comes down to work ethic and working at it and really paying attention to, I, I can think of 
turkey hunting or archery hunting or even halibut fishing when I've been doing that you'll watch people who are jigging six eight feet really ripping that jig and they'll catch a lot of halibut but it's those smaller fish that'll leave the bottom and come take that bait the big fish if you really consistently want to stay on big fish halibut bottom fishing you want to be jigging but those big fish are a lot more lethargic and they're slower and so if you're jigging way up high you're not going to get a big fish to come up fast you're going to get a little one to come get it so I agree with you, Pat. Yes, and to go to your hypothesis about the the small fish willing, and they are the smaller fish are much more willing to to zip up to get something, to to zip around to get something. The big fish is it's like this: they're not going to use four times more energy to go catch something than they're going to get from that. But that knowledge and experience so, comes from being out there and, and learning that, right? And paying attention to so, how the fish react to your lure. Yeah, and, and how they react to, like I say, so many years of laying on the ice watching these fish react to different presentations. It was very enlightening to me uh, as far as my knowledge of basically a little bit about how fish acts and thinks and stuff. So, As you've grown as a fisherman from that little boy sitting there watching these fish react till now, what's changed? How have you kept that spark of, I've got to, is it some, and some guys go down the road of, hey, I've got to chase bigger fish or more quantity. How have you kept that spark alive from that little boy sitting on the ice watching fish react? I don't know. I'd have to just say that, you know, it's, I believe personally, that it's how God created me. It's just something that I've always been passionate about. There's been a drive that just drives me to always do better at fishing. When you talk about the 20% of the fishermen catching the fish, I always heard that it was 10% of the fishermen catch 90% of the fish. It's probably true with nothing also. Oh, it's, I can remember chasing steelhead as a boy. I went with my dad in the Pacific Northwest, and we, a good weekend, we'd put two fish in the boat, right? It's just, they're a tough fish. I finally got in college hooked up with a, just a, I call them fish hunters, not a fisherman, he's a fish hunter. And we did some days where we did 14 steelhead in the boat. It's just phenomenal. He was dialed in on them. And that's another thing that your listeners want to never be too proud to ask somebody because I'll tell you what you'll go fishing you might have a a 12 year old kid put it on you go fishing you might have a 75 year old man put it on you when you get too good to ask and talk and find out and share information then you're as good as you're going to get all right the best you'll ever be is when you're willing to share what you have with someone else and it'll come back to you. This isn't something that I just came up with, the Pat O'Grady way to catch fish. This is 50 years of, of trial and error and everything else. So, Pat, now, with all that 50 years of trial and error, what is, what's one fish recipe? What's one fish that you specifically target to, to eat? And what's a recipe you really crave? I love fish. I love trout. I play everything, so there's no bones in it and i love walleye i've just recently been going up to glendo and catching a lot of nice 12 to 14 inch crappie and i really like those really i don't i used to deep fry years ago but i don't anymore Uh, if i'm having fish uh, i just basically uh, fry it in butter and i use nature seasoning and i actually I found a, a ground habanero peppers, and I like sprinkling a little bit of that on it. Now, I've been looking for it. I ran out, and I can't find any more, but I did come across some ground jalapeno peppers. Be careful when you're using it, because if you take a sniff, you're going to be <laughs> you're gonna be sorry. But I like sprinkling some of that on there. It gives it a little spice, a little kick, and... Uh, that's basically how I do my fish now. I don't deep fry in oils anymore. And you can really tell when 
you don't do it because the last two times I've eaten fish and chips out at restaurants, I got violently sick. I just cannot eat a lot of deep fried food. My body just don't act good to it. If I do fry, it's in olive oil or butter, and that's that. That's cool. But um, that walleye with a little of that uh, jalapeno pepper. I did want to ask you about something that I had the pleasure of being affiliated with you back when this happened, but I remember early days of PK Lures, the, the struggle of getting it off the ground and getting people to actually notice you is really difficult in the fishing world because you've got these huge companies that are just, they dominate everything. And I remember going to iCast with you and just seeing how big some of these vendors are with the 80,000 square foot setup and different things like that. So I remember you mentioned Tim Jenny just a little bit ago. I remember him having a special catch that kind of helped spring PK lures a little bit in, in the public's eye because of the catch that he made with that catch and release walleye. So I was wondering if you could just share a little bit about that. Cause David, my co-host here, he's launching a product himself. And so I talked to him a little bit about the big break that you had. So I was wondering if you could just tell a little bit of that story. I was up in Canada and it was the first time I went, we were fishing last mountain Lake and we were like catching these fish. Like, I mean, that it's incredible fishing up there. If anybody ever gets a chance, last mountain Lake or uh, Tobin, I like last mountain Lake because it's 400 miles <laughs> closer, but, uh, we were up and we were filming a commercial. We had a film crew from Wisconsin come up. And uh, second day, Tim took the fish and flipped the camera over on it. We're filming this whole thing. And lo and behold, he reels in a 14 and a half pound, 33 and three quarter inch walleye. It was not a world record catch and keep because that was 17 pounds a few ounces out of Tobin. But we released it, and we had all this on video. We started looking at it when we were done fishing, and I was on my way home from Saskatchewan, and Tim called me up, and he said, because we measured it, they don't go by weight. Catch and release don't go by weight. It's just simply length. And he called me, and he said, this thing is a world record catch and release, Pat. I said, really? He says, yeah, I'm going to submit for it. And I said, wow. I, I told him, I said, that don't surprise me because that was a big fish, a big fish. And I got off the phone after talking with him for a few minutes, and I called Al Linder. I'm friends with Al. I guided Al and Jim Linder. I've taken a lot of the people within Fisherman Fishing, and I called Al Linder and told him, I said, that I was just up at Last Mountain Lake in Saskatchewan, and Tim caught this fish. We got it on video that we were filming a commercial, and that it's in possibly a new state or world record catch and release. I told Al, I said, Tim's going to submit for it. We can't claim it yet because it isn't until it's until the his certificate's been given. So I told Al, I said, do me a favor, and you know, we don't want it going out on the airwaves or nothing because we don't know for sure until he gets the certificate. And by the time I got home, from east to west, the word was out. Al had made a couple calls with the Freshwater Fishing Hall of Fame and talked to the people, told them what happened. And they said, oh, man, if they got a video and everything else, this is, yeah, it's a world record catch and release. So that's actually what made PK really known, mostly in Canada. And a, a lot in the U.S. too, but mostly in Canada. Our sales the next year up in Canada exploded. It's We're still working on it down here. I actually sold PK two years ago to a fish nut in North Dakota, and I'm still heavily involved with him. 
as a designer and uh, basically the struggle of uh, basically about wore me out. You so know, you're on the stuff. sunset of the entrepreneurship cycle, right? You were a designer, then an inventor, then the entrepreneur, then the small business owner, and then you grew it to a point where you sold it. As that journey, as if you could give advice to somebody else, sounds like it wore you out, but would you do it again? I would do it again, but I would prefer it not to be in 2009, right after the worst financial collapse in the <laughs> history of this country. If we could have done this 20 years ago, things would have been much, much easier. I don't want to give people out there the illusion that that this was easy because it truly isn't. It's not easy. You're going into the ring with literally dozens and dozens of Mike Tyson's, Rapala, and uh, so many big, powerful companies that these people do not want to lose one square inch of their shelf space to anybody. And it's a very difficult thing to do. I don't want to give anybody the illusion that it's going to be something easy to do. It's not. But I'm not a, I'm not a young man anymore. And I know this, that anything really, truly worthwhile in this life does not come easy. Uh, it's just like going out and catching the fish. If you're the kind of fisherman that goes out, sits on a bucket and, and drills six holes a day, then I would say don't ever try this because if you're not willing to go out and drill three, four hundred holes a day to find them, to seek and find what you're after, then it's going to be a very difficult thing. But if you're the type of person that you're willing to put some work into it and gifted in the business realm better than I was because to be honest with you that's where I've always been lacking is the business end of it okay I was an okay designer and I knew how to design things I knew I could envision something in my mind and then bring it to life and I was really good at that, but I, I wasn't good at managing, but I didn't like it, you might say, of managing bookkeepers and bankers and shippers. And that wasn't, I could do it, but it wasn't something that, that I was really good at because it wasn't something that I really liked. So somebody that's gifted in that way, if they get their hands on the right products, they could probably do wonders with it. The guy that I sold this company to is he's a fish nut. That was one of the one of the main reasons I sold it to him was just his passion for fishing. But he also had the funds to take PK places that I knew that would take me another five or six or seven years to get to. And I'm sixty six years old. I didn't want to wait that long. I sold it and I'll tell you I'm I'm at peace with it. I enjoy my life now. I get to go fishing when I want with the people who I want to go with and test out new things. And it's just everything has come together at a particular time. It wouldn't have come together if, if things wouldn't have worked out for us with that world record catch and release that Tim caught. And it was a relationship that I built up to that point with the lenders from Men Fisherman and, and, you know, I knew Matt Straw, Doug Stangy, Jeff, I knew all those guys. So I was always sending them lures to test and try and use. And they all said they had the, their box from the Wyoming designer. They called, they called me the Wyoming designer. They knew what I was. They surely weren't calling me the Wyoming businessman. They all had their PK boxes and, and really liked them. And, so I want to touch on something you picked up there for a second, and it was whether you're in business or fishing or elk hunting. I've noticed I have some okay success elk hunting, and we put a lot of hours in. We put a lot of time in. There's a lot of days that we leave two hours before daylight, hit the trail. We're hiking an hour or so before daylight just to get to where I want to be when the sun comes up. And there's a lot of days I'm not back to camp till 9, 10, 11, and if we're and we're doing that because we're in grizzly country. I'd be just staying out there all night in a backpack tent if I wasn't in grizzly country. Same thing I noticed 
waterfowlers, businessmen, fishermen. There's the guys that are loading their truck up before before daylight and they're punching holes all night and fishing or doing whatever even business guys showing up an hour before the day actually starts to get a a jump on things and then there's the guys that stroll in five minutes for work they stroll in five minutes for daylight they try and get the leftover decoy spot for duck hunting or whatever and those guys are always the ones complaining a little bit about the lack of success the lack of harvest and i think i think you touched on as you really you've got to put your money where your mouth is and just put the time in like i say that was one of the other things about this guy I sold the company to. His part of his background was wrestling, and he wrestled for the United States Marine Corps, and they flew him all over the world. Wrestled the best wrestlers in the world, and this guy was rated the sixth best wrestler in the United States. And I thought, this is the kind of guy. I had a brother that was a state champion wrestler when we were growing up. And wrestling is a tough sport, man. And I thought, this is the kind of guy gets a hold of something and don't let it go, you know. And uh, he will make this a success. I mean, on it is a success now. We probably sold close to three-quarters of a million lures, maybe more. I'm not exactly sure. You think about that because I've talked to friends and people about the struggles in it they've told me listen you you don't you're looking at it from the wrong side of the coin you need to look at it from how many people out there are using your product and having the best day fishing they've ever had hundreds thousands that's that's a success story and it is but when you're when you're in business success comes on different levels and i've never felt that we weren't successful on that level but like i say when you're going into the ring with a company that's doing 700 million dollars a year in business and they oppose you it isn't easy and and that isn't just the fish and tackle industry that's any industry out there it's a dog eat dog world out there man i mean (laughs) there's it isn't going to be an easy deal so that's why i felt that this particular guy with his wrestling background uh, his passion for fishing was a good match for PK you know what I mean we had the product and this guy could move it to the next level and the next level and the next level so and at this point he's doing a great job you know I mean in the first couple months after he bought this company he added 250 new lures we were running 150 SKUs when he bought it, and within a few months, we were up to 400. And now we're up to over 500. I don't even know. It's, it's hard to keep track. He drives people crazy with his adding product. Mike Vermeesh out of Michigan, is he's running crazy all the time trying to get photography, get his car designed for the packaging for it's been nonstop for him too and so and as far as I'm concerned I love it now because I don't have to do any of that all I have to do is come up with another silly idea that catches fish and if this guy likes it he does it and then someone else has to take care of the, the <laughs> cruddy part of the work I right. get the good part well cool yeah and Pat we're gonna wrap this thing up here but I want to definitely give you an opportunity to tell people about how they can get a hold of these lures. I've, I I can tell you just as a personal testimony over the last 10 years of using these lures, whether it be the crankbaits, the jigs, the spoons, they are all very effective. And I like buying something that I know is designed by somebody here in Wyoming, somebody that's down to earth like you are. And so if you could just share for just a second, how people can get a hold of these lures, that would be awesome. I know that, and you probably know better than I do, Rocky Mountain Discount Sports in Riverton. Yep. Are they in there still, Pat? Yep, they've still got some, and sportsmen's warehouses across the state have them. So there's some places you can buy them from for sure. Yeah, there, it is. there's a half a dozen retail outlets in your part of the country that, you know, that a guy would work with up there. I know that 
we've got an online store. It's PK Lure, and guys can check out new product there. And I know the the new owner because money isn't much of an issue with him. I really had to watch the dollars pretty carefully when I owned the company and was doing it. We we had a budget that we were working with every year, and this guy is has a lot more funds to work with than we do and he actually came out with what was the first tungsten lure and last year came out with a 16 ounce tungsten predator and it's a little itsy bitsy thing but it's weighty Mm -hmm. and he did that thing and i would have never done it pat to be honest with you that i was too I, I just didn't have the funds to work with to make something like that. Tungsten is very expensive. And he brought those in, and I don't know how many, I think a thousand of each color. And I was saying to myself, man, it's going to be a while before he sells these because they retail, they're pretty pricey, but anything in tungsten is. And he's completely sold every one of those, and he is now next year going to be coming out with an eight ounce tungsten predator he in another couple weeks going to have a rattle spoon he's making rattle spoons in quarter and three eighths ounce pk spoons that got rattles in them and it's hologrammed on one side and painted on the other these lures are going to be killer dill he's meeting a lot of need out there that would have taken us a long time to meet when you're running 500 skews and your minimums on each lures 500 when you buy them it's that you're talking a pretty good chunk of change to to place an order you know what i mean yep and i can tell all the anglers here that fish boyce and lake kamiawater or bass lake that those little 16th ounce Tungsten predator lures are absolute killers. There was a young man went to CWC here named Ben that was slaying the 15-inch crappie with them, and there were other guys just really hammering the perch with them this last winter. Yeah, they're incredible lures, and they are weighty. For such a little lure, you wouldn't expect it, but they're quite weighty, and they're very effective. But, Pat, I, I just want to say thank you very much for coming on the show today. Again, it's just such a cool thing to talk about fishing success story from Wyoming. I know a lot of people played into that, and I just really appreciate you taking the time to spend some time with us and talk about it and talk about what it takes to do that, and we appreciate it. Pat, I got one final question for you before before we let you get out of here. If you had to pick one season, one species, one place to go, what and what would it be? Man, that's a hard one, guys. Most people be able to come up with an answer for that fairly quickly. I I love trout fishing. Wheatland 3 has been really good fishing the past few years here. And I was actually up there this spring with my brother, and we were fishing, and he caught a 34-and-a-half-inch brown trout. And I love walleye fishing. I really do. But let's face it, guys. There's no walleyes that fight like seven, eight pound rainbows. <laughs> That's a fact. And it's just, it's so fun and exciting when you are catching fish like that. My, one of my biggest passions is ice fishing. I love to ice fish, but as I get older, it gets harder. I'm not doing like I used to do. I've just slowed down quite a bit. We found a couple spots, Rich Pappert and me. That I, he's a friend of mine that I fish with a lot, that we absolutely were going up to Seminole last winter ice fishing and, and catching 40 rainbows from 18 to 22 inches in four or five hours. It's just a blast to, to catch fish like that. And it wasn't too far from where we had to put in. It wasn't like we were running across 15 or 20 miles of, of ice to get to it. I'd have to say something like that. You know, you don't have to haul a boat to get to it. You can pick a decent day, which there's a lot of in the winter. If you watch the weather, you can pick days that you can go out there that are absolutely beautiful. And I just, I, I love that, uh, to be out there in the winter on a nice day and 
not be struggling with the weather and and uh, catching, you know, when you're catching trout like that, it's and we were actually using the three quarter ounce and half ounce gold flutter fish. That's been a top producer for me for all species for a long time, and that's just that's fun. Love that. That's you know? awesome. Yeah, thanks again, Pat. We really appreciate it. Again, everybody, if you want to get out there and try some of these lures, you can find them at your local retailers like Rocky Mountain. I know Sportsman's and Casper and Cheyenne have them as well. And then, of course, pklure.com. You can go there and check them out. You can also check them out on Facebook. Again, Pat, thank you so much for visiting with us today, and we'll look forward to talking to you again sometime. Okay, Pat, you have a good winter up there, guys. Good fishing and all right you too pat you be safe out there thank you sir all right right. bye-bye all right so this week's recipe is from the legendary pat o'grady the guy who founded pk lures pat was on our show recently and was sharing one of his favorite ways to cook white meat fish so like if you've been out there and you've caught walleye crappie perch, something like that, bluegill. He shared this recipe. So it's pretty simple. All you're going to need is a good skillet. So I know I prefer a cast iron skillet. You're going to want some butter. You're going to want some jalapeno pepper seasoning and some salt and pepper. And all you're going to want to do on these white fish, they don't take very long to cook, is you're going to want to heat your skillet up. You're going to drop that butter in there, get it melted. You're going to drop that fish on there on top with the seasoning on it. And then you're going to cook it for about a minute or two on each side. And just to whatever way that you prefer to have that fish cooked. And then you're going to take it off and enjoy it. If you want to add a little extra flavor, I definitely recommend High Mountain Seasonings has a gourmet fish western style seasoning. That's excellent on any kind of fish. I like it on white fish particularly. So you can get that on their website or at your local retailers. Thanks again for listening to the Radcast Outdoors podcast. We hope that you've enjoyed the show. If so, please go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this podcast and subscribe, share, and give us a five-star rating, which really helps other people find the show. You can find all of our shows, recipes, giveaways, videos, and much more at radcastoutdoors.com. While you're there, please help support the show by purchasing a Radcast Outdoors shirt, or hat. Please don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We also have a Radcast community on Facebook called Radcast Nation, and we'd love for you to join in the conversation there. And of course, please help support our sponsors who make this show possible. Thank you again to PK Lures, Bow Spider, and High Mountain Seasonings. Until next time, get out there and enjoy the outdoors.